We're going to look at just two verses from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I'll read it again. It's so short, it's so amazing. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace changes everything. So there's a, there's a wonderful little book called Calvinism in the Las Vegas Airport. It's written by Richard Mao. He was the president of Fuller Seminary when I attended there. He was a professor at Calvin College from 1968 to 1985. The, the book, the reason it's called Calvinism in the Las Vegas Airport is because he, he talks in the beginning and the, at the end of the book about this movie that Paul Schrader, who was a graduate of Calvin College, grew up in the Christian Reformed Church and then went to Hollywood and became a pretty famous and pretty successful screenwriter. He wrote a movie called Hardcore. I haven't seen it, but the brief synopsis that I know from this book is that a Christian Reformed elder goes from his home in Grand Rapids to Las Vegas to try to find his daughter who has run off to Las Vegas and gotten involved in the pornography industry. There's one scene in the film, which he talks about in the book, where a friend of his daughter's named Nikki, Jake and Nikki, are sitting in the Las Vegas airport, and they're trying to figure out where his daughter is. And she, Nikki, asks Jake, Elder, Elder Jake, Jake Van Doren was his name, I think, Ask Elder Jake, what, you know, what do you believe about God? What is this Dutch Reformed, Christian Reformed faith that you practice? And this is what he says. Oh, doggone it. I set it up so good. Oh, the page right before. There we go. The conversation continues. Nikki says, what the crap? Jake says, TULIP is an acronym. It comes from the canons of Dort. Every letter stands for a different belief. Like, are you sure you want to hear this? Nikki the prostitute says, yeah, yeah, please go on. I'm a Venetian myself. Well, T stands for total depravity. All men through original sin are totally evil and incapable of good. All my works are as filthy rags in the sight of the Lord. Nikki, that's what the Venetians call negative moral attitudes. Jake, be that as it may, U stands for unconditional election. God has chosen a certain number of people to be saved, the elect, and he's chosen them from the beginning of time. L is for limited atonement. Only a limited number of people will be atoned and go to heaven. I is for irresistible grace. God's grace cannot be resisted or denied. And P is for the perseverance of the saints. Once you're in grace, you cannot fall from the numbers of the elect. That's it. 
Nikki. Before you can become saved, God already knows who you are. Jake, oh yes, he'd have to. That's predestination. I mean, if God is omniscient, if he, knows, if he already knows everything, and he wouldn't be God if he didn't, then he must have known, even before the creation of the world, the names of those who would be saved. Well then, it's all worked out, huh? It's fixed. Jake says more or less. Nikki says, I thought I was messed up. Except she doesn't say messed up. She says something else. And Jake says, well, I admit it's a little confusing when you look at it from the outside. You have to try to look at it from the inside. So, what would you do in a similar situation? You know, what would you do if, uh, if somebody who was, you know, seemed really far from God, really secular, maybe totally unfamiliar with the gospel, with the Bible, with, uh, you know, reformed Christianity, how would you explain that to them? Do you, even, do you feel equipped to do that? Do you feel like you could do that tonight or, or this week? Um, Somebody that's totally unfamiliar with the gospel, how would you share it with them in a couple of minutes? Um, because this sort of, you know, a CRC elder and a prostitute walk into an airport, I mean, that's like the beginning of a joke. And I'm going to come back to this. I'm going to come back to this. And so does Dr. Mao through the whole book. He kind of talks about how do we share this? How do we bring. Calvinism and the Reformed faith and the Bible into today's world and really explain it to people in a way that they can understand and applies to their life. Because all of us, you know, whether we're an elder or not, all of us should be ready to share the gospel in a winsome way. First Peter says, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have, but do so with gentleness and respect. So how do we do that? That sounds amazing. I want to do that. I want to have it on the tip of my tongue, and I want to do so in a way that's gentle and respectful and, and also winsome. It seems, like, it seems like often we are really distracted by the nuances of our faith and little, little differences in doctrine and little points of Christianity that people disagree on. Whereas tonight... You know, this passage, what the New City Catechism says that we looked at earlier, this is really the heart of the faith. This is the big stuff. By grace you have been saved through faith. And often it's really good for us to get back to the basics and to understand grace and faith. You know, the Catechism says, how can we be saved? How can we be saved? What would you say? What would you say to that question? If you shared your testimony with someone and they said, I I want that. I need something in my life. How can I be saved? You could say to them these four words. By grace through faith. By grace. You are saved by grace. Through faith. Faith in Christ. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. By grace, through faith. By grace, through faith. That's how we're saved. Grace changes everything. 
Amazing grace. God's amazing grace. We sing songs about it. We think about it. We know that it can impact our whole lives. We know that it's a gift from God. And uh, yet I think we often have to you know, come back to it and remember it and ask ourselves, what does grace look like in this situation? The, the way that the New City Catechism answers that question, how can we be saved, it's actually, uh, I think they call it uh, a chiasm. That's like there's five points and grace is right in the middle and it's sort of like you know it says only how are we saved only by faith in Jesus second even though we're guilty and in the middle by pure grace one thing that's interesting I'm not always the best I'm a pretty fast typist which comes in handy when you're a pastor I'm not always the most um, you know the best typist there's always a couple mistakes and when I was writing that the outline this week I wrote By pure grade. We are saved by pure grade. That is not good. One letter difference makes a big difference. We are not saved by our grade or how well we're doing or if we're grade A, top shelf beef or whatever. No, we are saved by pure grace. And then it continues that it imputes to us perfect righteousness. So God looks at us and sees Jesus, his righteousness through that filter of Jesus when we repent and believe in him. When we acknowledge that we are sinners in need of God's grace. When we live our lives in this posture of humility. When we have a rhythm in our life of repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. That's how God grows us and roots us deeper and deeper in the gospel. So, Let's look at Ephesians 2.8. It, it says that this is not your own doing. <laughs> this is not our own doing, being saved. God does it. And that's the difference between Jesus and every other religion. Every other religion says, do. Do this, do that. Maybe at the end of your life, you'll reach God, reach nirvana, stop being reincarnated, all those things. Whereas Jesus says, done. My work on the cross has already been done for it. It's finished. Um, Every other religion and also misconstructions of Christianity say, you can do it. You can do it. It's motivational teaching. Get out there and try harder. Here are 15 steps to a perfect marriage. Eight ways to be a person of prayer. Go out there and try harder. And you'll, you know, life will be better. No. That's not the gospel. It's not a try harder picture. It's, it's already been done. It's finished by Jesus. And a lot of a lot of preaching is like, is like that, as I mentioned. And so I ask you, my faithful evening service congregation, to call me out on that. When I preach sermons that are, try harder, do better, be more motivated, that actually doesn't really help anyone. It doesn't deal with the root issues of our life. And it actually just makes us feel bad, because no matter what, we can't. We can't live up to God's standard. It's not right here. It's, it's, 
the sky. And Jesus has already done it. Many of us have heard of the, this river metaphor. So we've heard this story. There's a raft that's going down a river. And oh no, a hundred yards further down, there's a waterfall. And we're in that raft. And if we go over that waterfall, we're going to die. And fortunately, Jesus is there on the shore. And he's offering us this stick for us to grab. And we just grab onto that stick. He can kind of pull us to shore. And, uh, and, and we, can, we can get saved. We don't have to go over that waterfall. So we just need a little bit of help. Well, that's... That's not a good metaphor for Christianity because we're not, you know, we're not just people floating down a river. Uh, it says that we're dead. <laughs> we were dead. Uh, look at the first, you know, I didn't read the first three verses, but um, I'll read them for you now. Chapter 2, Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So how about a different river metaphor. How about a different picture that we can try? Um, picture a, a stream that starts on the top of a mountain. And God, of course, has built that channel. God has created that river. And he's caused this river to flow. And that, that channel that's running through, that's building up steam, that's coming down the mountain, that's grace. That's grace. And we're swept up into it when we put our faith into practice. And what keeps us going down that river is our response to grace. It's faith. It's these good works. It's this response. It's the gratitude part. If we're thinking in terms of the Heidelberg Catechism, guilt and grace and gratitude. That's what delivers us. And I think about, uh, you know, out on the coast near Fort Stevens in Astoria where the Columbia River meets the Pacific Ocean, just the, the vast Pacific Ocean. And the river is just sweeping down and emptying into the ocean. And that's a picture of our good works that, that serve this. There's a whole ocean of need that's out there. There's a whole ocean of broken people. There's a whole ocean of people that we can serve. And that is our faith. That's what we, that's a picture of what following Jesus is. That's a picture of what Jesus does. That's a picture of what he calls us to. Because it's by grace through faith. So grace is a gift. You know, it's from this Greek word of um, charism. Or even, even, you know, my mom's maiden name is charis. And it means grace. And it's this idea of a gift. Like someone with charisma. You know, they have a gift. They're gifted. 
And yet the thing about a gift is we have to open it. We have to open that gift and we have to use it. The, the reformers, you know, f- nearly 500 years ago now, they, they would say faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies is never alone. Faith alone justifies, but the faith that justifies is never alone. So we are called to practice our faith to practice our faith, to respond to God's grace and to practice it. So how do we do that? We go out and we bless somebody. Go out and bless somebody tonight. Tell a family member that you love them. If and when somebody cuts you off on the drive home, pray for them. If you feel like you're getting drawn into an argument with a sibling or a parent or a spouse. Take a deep breath and pray together. Go out and bless somebody tonight. Go out and bless somebody in the next 24 hours and then call your pastor up and tell him what God did. Go out and bless somebody. Practice your faith. Visit someone in the hospital. Send a card. Make a phone call. Faith comes after grace has changed our lives. It's a response. It's not how we're saved, but it's, it reveals that we have been saved. We don't, we don't boast about it. You know, verse 9 says we don't boast about it. We don't brag about it because it's a gift. We are just thankful. We're just thankful for what God has done. We're thankful for God's grace that's been poured out on us. So friends, how has, how has grace changed your life? How has grace changed your life? You know, so many times we, we get mercy. And that's mercy is that God didn't punish us even though we deserved it. Mercy is when we get pulled over and we are speeding. And we get a warning instead. But more than that, we've received mercy and we've seen, received grace. And grace is God's kindness to us, even though we didn't deserve it. That's God's grace. So reflect on that this week. How has God's grace changed your life? Because if we don't, our faith gets a little bit stale. We get a little bit religious. We get stuck. But when we remember God's grace, how it's changed us, the kindness of God... Our faith is renewed and restored and revived. It's it's all grace. It's a grace to be gathered in this room tonight. It's a grace to be living and breathing. It's a grace to be in a community of people who are walking alongside of us. It's a grace to have a roof over our head. It's all grace. I read this week about a young man named Kendrick Norton. He's 22 years old. And after attending the University of Miami, he signed a contract to play football in the NFL for the Miami Dolphins. On July 4th, just about you know, two, three weeks ago, he was in a bad car accident. And he, um, 
he swerved to avoid, you know, he pulled out in front of a car and he, he, uh, he got into this accident. He was driving his uh, Ford F-150 truck and, you know, it was his fault. He pulled out in traffic where he shouldn't have. Um, it was his fault. You know, he wasn't driving well, but there was no alcohol or drugs or anything involved. It's just, just an accident. It happens. Well, in the last 17 days, he's had six surgeries on his body, including the amputation of his arm. Um, so he's never going to be able to play football again or have a career in that way. Um, his coaches and his teammates have been visiting him in the hospital. He's still in the hospital. Um, all his medical bills are going to be covered by the team. And the team this week, they cut him. They cut him from the team. But that's a good thing because if they cut him, they can pay his salary for the next season um, because of some, you know, a clause or an insurance payment or something. So that, to me, was grace. We live in a world in which there's often a lot of judgment and often a lot of um, just judgmentalism. They say, well, it's his fault. He wasn't driving good. You know, he's going to have to suffer the consequences. He's going to have to pay the medical bills. He's going to have to find another career really quickly. Uh, we, we think that we're this lenient culture, but we're really not. Whether it's like people on the far right, conservative people, or people on the far left, really liberal people, they're both judgmental of people that aren't like them. They're both not very graceful at all. But grace pays the bill. Grace pays the medical bill. Grace pays so we can get back on our feet a little bit. Grace has paid your bill and my bill many times over. And we just keep on. We keep on. We keep on keeping the faith. We practice the faith. We bless people. We go out and we live grace and we teach grace and that's what it's about. There's a chapter at the end of the book called Jake's Mistake. Elder Jake's Mistake. And what Richard Mouse says is that he shouldn't have gone to Tulip right away. He shouldn't have gone to Dort in the Netherlands. He should have gone to Heidelberg in Germany. And he should have said, my faith, my faith is this. My only comfort in life and in death is that I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and so delivered me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. That's personal. My only comfort in life and in death. That's his story. That's a place to belong. You know, to meet people where they're at. To share about grace and faith. And there's a wonderful quote from Charles Spurgeon in here that I'm going to close with. We win hearts for Jesus by love, by sympathy with their sorrows, by anxiety lest they should perish, by pleading with God for them with all our hearts that they would not be left to die unsaved, by pleading with them for God that for their own sake they would seek mercy and find grace.
seek mercy, and find grace. I'll just finish it up because it's so great what he writes here. If I'm right about Nikki, she didn't need a theology lesson. She needed a God who spoke to her in soft and tender tones. She needed to hear about the possibility of belonging to a Savior who would not own her in an enslaving way, but as a divine lover who would never abandon her, whose unfailing faithfulness would be her only comfort in life or in death. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have once and forever answered the question, how can we be saved? With one word, Jesus. Jesus, the one who's laid down his life for us. Jesus, the one who loves us endlessly and unconditionally. Jesus, the one who, who was sacrificed. Jesus, the one who conquered sin and death and hell. Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our King, our Messiah. God, may such gratitude rise up in our hearts that we lay down our lives and serve you, that we extend grace to others and also to ourselves, and that we practice the faith that you have given us. Lord, show us how to bless someone in the next 24 hours and create a groundswell of blessing that points people to you and to your kingdom. We ask this all in your powerful name, Jesus, the name above all names. Amen.